Today, we are going to answer this question, what is the church? What is it? What is the church? I mean, you may have a concept or a thought or a definition of what the church is, but honestly, if I ask that question and you actually wrote something, we probably get a lot of different answers. So we're going to look at what the scriptures say. Like, what does the Bible say the church is? Let me kind of explain it like this. Like in, in, in most every recognized country in the world, um, there is an American embassy. And the embassy is fundamentally, it's a little bit of America a long way from home. Embassies are sovereign territories, meaning they don't belong to the countries that they're in or where they're located. They belong to the countries that they represent. So if you're in trouble, you ever seen the movies like a Jason Bourne or something like that? If you're in trouble, get to the embassy, right? Because the moment that you pass those gates, you are no longer in foreign land, in foreign territory. You are now in the sovereign land of the United States of America where American law is rule, not the territory and land around you is rule. Likewise, the church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. It's supposed to be a place where people see the values of the kingdom of heaven reflected. It's supposed to be a place where people living in a foreign land can run to. And when they come to those gates and they step on this land, that they're not going to get the judgment and the hate and the evil that exists in the world. They're going to come into this land and see love and grace and acceptance and forgiveness and freedom and safety and hope. We're a little bit of heaven a long way from home. That's what the church is supposed to be, an embassy. Um, when you study theology, it's called ecclesiology. The study of the church, it's called ecclesiology. And if you study that, you find the purpose of the church is summarized in three broad areas. And I'm not gonna, like it's not in your notes or anything, but the purpose of the church is in three broad areas. It's to worship God, um, the edification of the church itself, and to evangelize the world. Those are the three purposes of, of the church, according to the Bible. We say it here at Discovery, we say it like this, to love God passionately, to love each other authentically, and go change the world for the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not going to be talking about the purpose of the church today. I want to talk to you about the identity of the church, because your identity is a prerequisite to purpose. Uh, purpose flows naturally from your identity, meaning just because you do church things doesn't mean you are the church. Okay, so it's important that we just don't focus on the activities and the actions of a church and what the church is supposed to be doing, but we focus on the identity of who the church is because what we do flows out of who we are. You track with me, guys? So to, to do that, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the church. Jesus, actually the very first time the church is ever mentioned was from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to study this in detail today. We're going to look at what the church is, the identity of the church, and where we fit in the middle of it all. But Jesus explains in Matthew 16, the very first time church is ever mentioned, he explains it here. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Look what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples an important question, but let me time out right there and just kind of give you the context of where they're at. They are coming from a different region of Israel. Now, Caesarea Philippi is in the northern, northeastmost region of Israel. And in this place still today in Caesarea Philippi, you can see um, pagan idol worship, like these, these altars, pagan altars, dozens of them 
are there in Caesarea Philippi and were there in the time of Jesus. They were just a little bit more new. In fact, just recently they had built a temple to Caesar where he was worshiped as God. They started claiming he was God and to be worshiped as God. So that's where in Caesarea Philippi where all this was. So Jesus intentionally takes his disciples to a place where there's all this pagan idolatrous worship. The context is important because Jesus is gonna talk to them about what what it means to follow me. What does it mean to be the church? And he's gonna, he's gonna explain for the very first time what the church is, and he's doing it in the context of everything the world has to offer. This is all the, the gods of this world and what, the God, what, what people worship of this world, and here's what they have to offer, but this is what, who I'm telling you I am. The context is so important. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So who is Jesus? And they were really confused in that time. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, who had already been beheaded at that time. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, which is a weird answer, right? But in that time, they were very mystical in their culture. They believed in reincarnation. So they were thinking maybe Jesus is a reincarnated prophet or something, which is just very confused, very mystical. So Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, which is actually the right answer here. But at that point, Peter didn't fully understand what even that meant to be the Messiah and the son of the living God. Because at this time, what they thought, they were actually waiting for the Messiah, but they thought the Messiah was going to come as a king to rule and reign and overthrow the oppressors of the Israelite people. So they were waiting for a Messiah because they were under Roman rule. They were thinking the Messiah is going to come and he's going to come with a sword and he's going to come bring an army. We're going to be an army. We're going to demolish the oppressors. And he's this just Messiah, Jesus. He's going to sit on the throne in Israel and be king. Like he's going to be president of the world, man. And so Peter's like, this is a good deal because I'm going to be chief of staff and this is great. This is who you are, man. We're going to rule this thing together, Jesus. And Jesus replies, look what he says. Blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build, what do he say? I will build my church. Now that's the very first time ever mentioned, Jesus mentioned in the New Testament or in his teaching, his disciples, what he was doing this whole time that he was actually building something with him, the whole time where he was modeling and doing miracles and teaching, the whole time he was actually building something. He said, I'm going to build upon your confession, not upon Peter himself, but upon your confession that I'm the Messiah, that I am the Savior of the world. Upon that confession of who I am, I'm going to build and establish my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, which is so cool when you think about it in context because you have all this demonic activity around them, pagan idol worship. And he says, look, you're in the middle of all this stuff that is evil. And what I am giving you, this has nothing. Nothing can touch you. The gates of hell will not overcome it. The Greek word Jesus used, or in that Greek, the, the New Testament, what that word is, is ekklesia. And it literally means, and that's why ecclesiology is the study of the the church, what it literally means is a called out assembly, a gathering assembly that's been called out. We're going to study that word in just a moment, but I want to look um, at what Jesus, how Jesus describes the church and how the New Testament describes the church. Because 
when I say what is the church and stuff, you all have, we all have a different thought based upon our experience, upon our culture around us. But this was very new to them. They had they, they'd never known the church that you know. So he had to, Jesus and the New Testament authors, they actually had to draw from the things around them, like metaphors and descriptions, and say, okay, this isn't, this isn't, this is what it is. It's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. This is this is how the church is and what the church is going to be like. So instead of like thinking about the church, maybe with your own experiences, your own culture, what maybe the, what defines church for you, maybe we need to go back to the Bible and see what Jesus said and what the authors of the Bible said about God's church and let that define our reality of the church. Does that sound good? Amen, somebody? Okay, so let's look at these five metaphors, these five descriptors of what is the church. And I hope that we can just redefine are, are the way we think about church today, okay? Because the church, according to the Bible, the church is the body of Christ. And maybe you've heard that, that the church is the body. If you want to go study it, not in your notes, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul goes into detail about like the body. Like we all are a part of this body and we are all different parts of the body. Some of you are a hand, some of you are an eyebrow. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are a knee or a foot or something like that. Everyone's just different, but they're all necessary, right? Just like your body parts, they're all necessary, they're different, they all have different functions, but they're all necessary. And if you go read 1 Corinthians 12, Apostle Paul actually talks about the tension that exists with kind of being connected to people that are not like you. Being like, because he's like, well, the hand has no right to say to the foot, I don't need you. You know, because in our own, in our own concept of church and the way that we kind of relate to each other, we want to kind of just hang out with all the hands. If I'm a hand, I'd be like, let's all get the hands together. Come on, man. These feet stink. These feet stink. You look like a hobbit with your hairy toenail. Like, let's get a, I'm going like, let me just get around some, some hands. Because these people, we can get hand sanitized. We're just a little bit more, you know, reformed than, than you feet people. And so there's this, like, a, a tension that exists within this different parts, but still connected. Like, if we were intended, if we weren't intended to be in relationship with people who cause us to, like, suffer on occasion, how else do you think we're supposed to grow? Like, how are you supposed to grow in patience if you try to cut off every person that needs you to exercise patience with? How are you supposed to grow in grace if you try to chop off the part of the body that actually necessitates you to be gracious? Jesus said it this way. If you love those who love you, you will have no reward. Oh, see, the church is the body. And in the body, there is unity and diversity. There is unity in the, far, in, in the fact that we are connected to one another, but there is diversity because we all have different gifts and different functions and different strengths and different weaknesses. Ephesians chapter one says it like this. And God has placed all, thing, all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, look at this, which is his body, the fullness of of him. See, the body is the expression of the fullness of God. I don't, within myself, do not express the full manifold nature of God. But when we together, with our unique gifts and abilities, and we come together as the body, as the church, we together express the full nature of who God is. The church is the body. Here's the second thing the Bible says that the church is and describes it. The church is the flock of God, meaning sheep. Sheep, we're a flock of sheep. Now, which is, sheep are very dumb animals, you guys. 
They're very dumb. Um, they, they actually just eat what's only in front of them. If, 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 like there's grass, they'll eat the grass, and they'll just, once the grass is gone, there could be green grass right next to them, but they'll just eat the dirt. They'll just start eating dirt. They actually need a shepherd. They need someone to guide and lead them because they are extremely dumb. In fact, there's this, there's this video uh, that, that it kind of shows how, how dumb, you know, sheeps are. That picture of us, really, I found. So there's a shepherd. The sheep got, he got, he got like in a crack and he's stuck and the shepherd is trying to get him out. Like us, we get stuck and the good shepherd, Jesus, comes and rescues us. And then we're like, yay, I'm free. Um, so this is like, this is what we do. God rescues us from it. And then we go back to the very relationship that he rescued you from. And God rescues you from that addiction and you go right back to the very thing that he actually delivered you from. This is, the, this is why Jesus said that we are sheep because you, we need somebody to follow, to lead. And so this is what he says in John chapter 10. I have, Jesus speaking, other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be, look what he says, one flock, one church, not, not there should be sheep. No, no, no. It's together we make a flock and one shepherd. But you don't believe because you are not, he says, my sheep. And here's why. My sheep, he says, listen to my voice. I know them. And sheep are dumb. They need somebody to follow. Like they'll follow each other off a cliff. They'll just bump, 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 and just all die. If one of them goes, they're all going to go. They need somebody to follow. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. They follow my voice. Sheep follow. They follow. That's what it means to be the church. You have a shepherd, and you listen to his voice. But you got to be careful because there's a lot of voices, aren't there? There's a lot of voices leading us. In fact, the, the Bible says that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. That there are, there are some people that look like a sheep, talk like a sheep, walk like a sheep, bah, like a sheep, but they're not a sheep. They're a wolf. And, and their intention is different. See, see, how do you know you're listening to the, to the wolf? Check this out. When the wolf tells the story, the shepherd is always the enemy. When the wolf tells the story, look what he's trying to, when the, if, you, if you're listening to the wrong voice, that voice, how do you identify if you're listening to the wrong voice? That voice is trying to get you isolated from the flock. That, that voice is trying to cause you to be divided from and, and have enmity and division against the flock that God has called you to follow with the, the shepherd who God has called you to follow. He's trying to pull you. So right now, even as I'm saying this, you're probably thinking of some wolves. And as I'm saying this, some of you are thinking of, oh no, am I a wolf? Because you actually have been stirring the pot and causing division. Okay, so this is, look, I'm just saying this, like, there was nothing to go. There was no, this was the first church. This is who, who it is. And the Bible and Jesus are giving just metaphors and descriptions. The church is a body. The church is this flock of sheep. Here's the third description or metaphor is the, the family of God. The church is the family of God. Now, now, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have two families. The first family is your family of origin. It's the family you were born into. You can't choose it, nor can you change it. Whether it was dysfunctional and toxic or healthy and a blessing to you, it is your family, and that's it. But if you are born again and a follower of Jesus, you have a second family, the spiritual family. The church is the family of God. It's supposed to be a group of people who are in relationship with each other and do life together. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. On the contrary, you are fellow citizens with God's people and, check this out, 
members of God's family. So if we let the word of God define our church relationship and church experience, then we would not treat the church like an event to go to. It would be a family to belong to. And some of you still have this wrong mindset. It's your thing to do on Sunday. Even when you say, I'm going to church, I'm going to go to church. No, no, this, you are the church, you guys. You're the church. Uh, we're, we're a family together. No, not a, a, a family. I wonder if things would change. I wonder if, if things would change if we treated the church like a family. Several years ago, almost four years ago now, Veronica and I, during our time of like prayer and fasting, and we separate ourselves every year intentionally for some vision and fasting. And, and almost four years ago now, we were, we were doing our annual um, fasting for vision, and, and the Lord spoke to both of us individually about, about our identity. And we, had start, we started Discovery a little over nine years ago now, and we, we like kind of identified as church planters. That's who we were in our, in our pastoral assignment in the ministry God has given us. It's a very entrepreneurial spirit. It's something a build and advance and to reach the storm, the gates of hell, and let's reach the loss. And, and so this is like our, uh, we kind of saw ourselves this way, uh, even unintentionally. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to both of us individually, and he told us to no longer think of ourselves as church planters, but as a spiritual father and a spiritual mother for her. And it just shifted because the church is, is a family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul actually took on this role for the church at Corinth. Look what he says, for though you have countless guides, like you got a lot of people guiding you and leading you and teaching you, yet you don't have many fathers. And some of you are probably like me where, where you were not raised with a father or a father was absent or just not present or, or gone all together. And thankfully, we have another family. The, the church is the family. He says, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Man, I wonder what would change in our relationship, in our church relationship experience if we actually understood we're a family. I think we'd have a lot more grace and patience for each other. I think when there's shortcomings and weaknesses, you know, your brother is never not your brother just because he messed up and he has issues. He is always and forever will be. I just, I think it would change. It would change how we relate to you. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says it like this. Don't rebuke an older man harshly. Why? Because he's a spiritual father. You need to exhort him with, like he's, he's your father. Treat younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So some of you single guys, would you kiss your sister that way? Yeah, I think, I just, okay, yeah. I just think things would, things would change if we actually treated the church like a family. Here's the fourth metaphor or description the, the Bible gives about the church. The church is the building of God. Now, don't get confused here. We're not talking about, like, this is not the church. This building is not the church. You are the church. Okay, well, even when we say, like, like, things like, I'll go, hey, we're going to church today, honey? Let's go, to, let's go to church this weekend and make sure. You're not, like, sometimes when you say, I'm going to church, I think you guys think about this building, like, oh, Discovery Church and the sign, and, like, this is the church. No, 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 this is not the church. When you say, I'm going to church, you're saying, I'm going with my family to gather to worship. It does, this building is not the church. The church is us, whether we're gathering in a home, whether we're gathering in a warehouse, whether we're gathering in a field, that is the church. The church is wherever we gather. We've actually done all those. The church, this church has gathered and became a church in all those expressions. See, God's not calling us to go to church. He's calling us to be the church. Ephesians 2 says it like this. Together, 
together, together, together. See, this language is so communal, isn't it? This is what God is doing. This is what he was establishing. It was a community. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple. We together become a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, even the Gentiles are being made part of his dwelling where God lives. Look, God lives in our gathering together as God's temple, his building. Yes, you are, you're a temple of God because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but you're only, you fit within the larger context of us as the temple where God's glory dwells together when we come together. Are you seeing this, you guys? Okay. Here's the fifth description or the metaphor the Bible says that the church is, and I already did the building. You guys are not with me, huh? Yeah, building, and then Ephesians 5, already did that too. Let's, uh, the bride of Christ is what it is, the bride of Christ. I know it's not very masculine to think of yourself as a bride for some of you guys, but you shouldn't. You're not a bride. You're not a bride yourself. You're not a bride, but, uh, but we together as God's church are the bride of Christ. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. See, in Ephesians 5, you go read it all. Marriage and the union between husband and wife is, is a symbol of the relationship Jesus has with the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. The Bible says that, that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, some people, they go, well, I don't got a problem with Jesus. I got a problem with the church. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, I just don't like church. Jesus is cool. I just don't like church. That would be, that would be like your friend coming to you and going, hey, bro, I love you, man, and it's cool. We're cool. But your wife is a jerk. I hate your wife, dude. I actually, I don't even want to be around her. So when I come over, would you mind sending her somewhere else so that we can hang out? Because I'm cool with you, but she got a she just can't be around. How many of you know, we can't be friends. <laughs> if you think that way about my wife, we cannot be friends. If, and if you think that you can come to Jesus and go, Jesus, we're good. I'm good with you. But your bride is ugly, don't like her, don't want to be around her. If you think Jesus is good with that, you are sorely mistaken. You are sorely mistaken. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9 says that the angel of the Lord said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We studied this in our last series, Life After Death, that, that in this resurrection experience, when we're gathered together with Christ, it's actually called the wedding supper. It's this, it's this moment where the groom, Jesus, has been waiting years and years and years to be united again with his bride, the church. And he added, these are the true words of God. See, the church is not a place. It's a people. And, and so when you look at the, what the Bible actually says about the church, the metaphors, the descriptions, I think it gives, I just, uh, not in your notes, but the church defined according to these metaphors would be something like this. The church is the family of God, unified under the lordship of Jesus, coming together to build his kingdom as we await for his return. See, Jesus' mission through his life, his death, his resurrection was all about redeeming humanity and creating this people group that would bring him glory. But, but Americans and our Americanized version, like it's, it's all about individuals isolated bringing glory to themselves. 
My family, I want this about my family, my future, my stuff. So, so when we try to marry the, the mission of Jesus with the mission of the world, the mission of, 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 our, of our culture around us, together we get something like this. Well, what did the church do for me? What's the church do for me? I'm just like, you know, is, I don't know if this is my kind of church. And we even misinterpret major scriptures and make them individualistic rather than the way that they were actually intended. You know, like Jesus said, you know, that you'll be a light unto the world. And we're thinking like, yeah, I'm be a light. But that's not what he said. When he said you, it was the, it was the text in you, y'all. So you all, that's what he was meaning, okay? You all, that you all together, when you come together as my church, you together form a glorious light that people will see and give thanks to my Father in heaven. That, that you are a temple, Yes, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but you're not just a temple unto yourself. You together are the temple when you come together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 actually says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. No one walks around going, I'm a holy nation. I'm a nation. No, you're not. You're not a nation. We together form the nation of God. This is what Jesus was doing. I think many of us are playing Christian blackjack. Now, I know y'all are holy. You don't play blackjack. So let me explain it to you guys, okay? Blackjack, y'all, blackjack is like, it's like you got people sitting around you playing the game with you, but you're not really playing the game with them. You don't even care about them. It's just you and the dealer. And so some of you, this is the way your, your, your church Christian experience was. It really doesn't matter about the other people at the table playing this game and on the journey. It's just between you and the dealer. You might be sitting at a table with them, but it's not about them. And, and look, the church is not Christian blackjack. It's not. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean? To which, like, like God went all in on this, you guys, on establishing this church. He, he did. He went all in. What does it mean, though, to be a follower of Jesus? I think this is important in, in, in the context of what does it mean to be a church, his followers. Because I think today in our, in this generation that we're living in, I think we're that following Jesus is something that's more a personal convenience rather than a conviction. And, and, and I think it's, you know, the age of social media that we live in. You can like and follow and unfollow and stuff like that. If I'm, if I'm following you and I don't like what you're boasting, I can just be like, click, you're done, you know. I don't, have to, I don't have to watch you. And I think that, that we live in that culture that we think we treat the church that way and are following that way where it's like you could just pick and choose and silence and mute and unfollow. And that's just not, not the picture of what it means to be a follower or to be his church. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna go back to that. Let's continue studying. Jesus is, again, he's, at, he's in Caesarea Philippi. He's at all these pagan altars, and he's talking to his disciples about his church, that he's gonna build his church. Now look what he says in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Next verse. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, what does he mean by that? That there is so much authority that is given to this church, this ecclesia. Check this out. Ecclesia was actually a very common everyday Greek word. And it originally meant the, the it referred to the land-holding citizens of the Greek state who had been summoned together to establish governance, guidelines, Rules and regulations for the broader citizenry. In other words, if you're a part of the ecclesia in the Greek societies, you were part of the governing council 
that legislated on behalf of the Greek populace. Ecclesia, during this time, was not a place you go to to sing songs or hear a sermon. Ecclesia was a place where you came to legislate on behalf of the populace. See, the church has been given, listen, kingdom authority to legislate on behalf of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ to exercise and influence kingdom authority on foreign land. The church has a role of influencing the kingdom culture to to purposely influence God's way of doing things amidst the, the pagan worship around us, the way of Satan, the gates of hell. You see, God went all in on the church, man. This is what he always intended to do. He gave this community kingdom authority to deal as representatives, as ambassadors living in an embassy in foreign land, which is why you see scriptures where, like this where Jesus goes, hey, if you don't forgive your brother who sins against you, your heavenly father won't forgive you. And you think, wow, Jesus, that's, that's really harsh. Not when you understand it's not about you. It's not about you. It was always about us. It was always about a people that God was bringing together for his glory. And when you operate in unforgiveness, you undermine the authority of the kingdom of heaven. It was always about this. It was always about us reflecting a different culture, a different kingdom that people will look on and see a forgiveness that they don't see here. They'll see a love that they don't see here. They'll see peace that they don't see here. This, this is what the church of God was always intended to be. But then I want you to see, look, notice the change of tone in Jesus' language here. He goes, he says, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, which is weird, right? It's like, I know I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anybody. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised alive. And so remember, they're thinking, wait a second, no, you're going to be president. Boy, this doesn't jive with, what, with our context of, of this whole like Grecian model, this whole Roman, like Israelite, and even like maybe for you, your Americanized version of church and following Jesus. This don't jive. What do you mean you're going to die? What, what is this about? So Peter takes him aside and rebukes him and goes, this does not line up with my philosophy, Jesus. Never. Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus noticed they weren't getting this whole following him and what it means to be the church. And so he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the the concerns of the kingdom of heaven. You are caught up in foreign territory. You're caught up in this world, steer, in the human concerns. And Jesus sets it straight for them, what it means to follow him and to be his church. Then Jesus said, To his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must. What is it? They're hanging on like by a thread. What what, what do they do? Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will actually lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You say, Jason, why are we talking about this, man? Well, it's because here at Discovery, we've grown so rapidly, man. And I thank God uh, with, with people who are so different. They're at different places of their following experience. They're following Jesus. 
Like everyone here, you probably had a different step of following. And I love that about our church because all of us are at different places. Of, and my job is to encourage you to take your following Jesus seriously, to, to, to take being the church seriously and to continue to go after God with everything that you have. And the reason why I have to teach you this is because it doesn't make sense on the surface. It doesn't. Like, you don't think it would be that way. You would think, man, if I want to find life and then live it up, soak up life if you want to find life. And Jesus goes, no, 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 that's, that's not it. Um, you figure out how to make the most of your life for God's glory, and then you'll find life here, here and eternal life after. One translation says it like this in Luke 9, 23, that he said to them, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As if to suggest that there's a process of following Jesus, like there's a journey, there's this day-by-day process of, of following and choosing him, like increments. So what I wanted to do is to help you identify where you're at in this whole following Jesus process, and this whole, where do you fit within the context of the kingdom of God and his church, and just encourage you to take that next step in the journey. There, there are, I'm gonna show you guys five levels, if you will, five levels of following Jesus. And from the outer, like, like just on, on the outside looking in, all the way to walking closely with him. And I'm even going to, I got a diagram for you. It's not a diagram in your notes, but I got a diagram that looks like this. You write it down, because the first step of following Jesus is, is the crowd level. It is like the outer circle, right? And little by little, we're going to draw into Jesus. So it's the crowd, meaning that the first appeal that Jesus ever made was to the crowd. And by the way, that's the first priority at Discovery as well. So we'll serve some free coffee and some Krispy Kreme donuts and, and take care of your kids and have some awesome worship. And the whole idea is that people are invited, write it down like this, at the crowd level, you're just invited to come and see how awesome God is. Hey, come check this, come check this out. I was hanging out with the new, some, a new couple at Discovery here recently, and they were telling me how awesome it is to be a part of a church that they feel comfortable inviting other people to just to come check it out. And I love that. I think that's so cool. And Jesus did the same thing. You know, the first message Jesus ever gave his disciples was come and see. That's the first message. And the first thing Peter did for Peter, uh, Jesus did for Peter, he didn't challenge him. He didn't, he didn't say, come and serve me and give up your life. He didn't see it, say that till years after the following process. Did he say, take up your, your cross daily? The first thing Peter did, Jesus did for Peter, you know what it was? He filled his boat with fish. Peter's like, this dude is cool, man. I'm following this guy, man. And so they look, all he was doing was like, come and see. Come and check this out, man. I, and so he was, uh, he was just inviting them to step in and come and see. So here at Discovery, you can belong before you believe. You can. So here's another level, though, of this, like, this, this following process, and it's the congregation level. Write that down, congregation. Meaning, at some point, if you like what you see, then come be a part. Come and join us. Write it down like that. Come and join us. Like, seriously, I just want to let you know real quick, it, at this church, at Discovery, take as much time as you need to be in the crowd level. If you're, if you're like still investigating faith, you're not sure about church or Jesus or Christianity, you're not going to get, pre- don't, don't feel pressure to serve anyone, to give anything, to do anything. You can just be welcomed here at Discovery to exist in the crowd, to just come and see and not feel like you're going to be judged or asked to do anything, nothing like that. Here at Discovery, you can stay there as long as you want, but just know there's so much more of God. There's so much more. There's like more levels. And most of us would honestly identify with one of these last three 
levels because the next one is the committed. The committed. And these are the people that are just saying, I just want more. Anyone here that just wants more of God, man? Man, I know I'm saved, but that wasn't the finish line. That was the beginning. I want more of God. And to which those people write it down like this, the, the invitation is to come and grow. To come and grow. And that's why you should probably choose a small group. If you're at that stage, choose a small group that's like a Bible study, a book study. Choose something that's theologically based, man. I want to come and grow. And the fourth level is the core. And the core's message is simply, is simply this. Come and serve. Come and serve. And now that's not just about, it's not just about you growing now, but hey, God, um, is there a place where you can put me so I can make a difference in somebody else's life? Because, man, you've made a difference in me. Can you use me now to make a difference in, in somebody else? And, 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 and can I like, I, I can open a door. I can park a car. I can pray for kids and kids ministry. Like I can come and, and serve. And you say, well, Jason, why is that? Are you sure this is part of the whole following process? You have no idea what your walk with Christ could be like until you worship one service and start serving another service. No idea. In fact, you ask anyone in, they're called the dream team here at Discovery. You ask anyone on the dream team here at Discovery, and they'll tell you, this is what following Jesus is all about. It's not about what God can do to me, but what God can do through me. In fact, like this whole, this, this whole thing is, is the whole like process, the vision and strategy of our church right here. This is the Sunday service where we say, hey, come and see. Just come and see. And then we say, come and join us. Come to track one and learn a little bit about our church family. Oh, you want to grow? Join a small group. And then don't stop there, man. You want to come to the core and be a part of the team and serve? Come on to track two and we'll help you discover what God's called you to do so you can serve. This is, this is I'm giving you the secret sauce of Discovery Church right now, you guys. This is our model. This is, this is the way we try to lead people on a journey to following Jesus, little by little, gradually becoming who God has called you to be. But Jesus really took it to an ultimate level, which I'm calling all of us to set as a goal for our lives, that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and that is the commissioned. The commission. The, commission, the, the commission's message is is the ultimate because it says, I'm just not gonna give you a Sunday, God. I'm just not gonna give you one service and worship one service. And No, no, the commission's message is this. I'm not just gonna give you a Sunday. I'm gonna give you the rest of my life. Like, I'm, and I'm not saying you gotta be a pastor like me or anything, but you recognize that serving God, following God, being his church is not like this event thing. It's not a Sunday thing. Like, like I'm gonna be the priest of my home. I'm gonna serve God. God, I'm gonna choose you in my home. My home will be a place of worship. I'm gonna serve you in my home. I'm gonna serve you in my workplace. Wherever I'm at, God, you, you get the rest of my life. Use me for your glory. And the commission, the commission message is this, come and die. Jesus says, die to yourself. Die to your ambition, die to your goals. And, and this is like, I know, which again, it doesn't make sense to some people to take up my cross and die. To which like the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians Chapter 118, it's not in your message notes, but he said that the cross is foolishness to, one translation says that it doesn't make sense to those who are already perishing. See, that cross that we carry, the cross that represents defeat, to the follower of Jesus, it's an image of victory. To the cross that represented guilt, to the follower of Jesus is an image of, of grace. To the cross that represented condemnation, to the follower of Jesus, it represents freedom. To the cross that represents suffering, to the follower of Christ, it represents healing and hope. To the cross that represents death, 
to the follower of Jesus represents life and life eternal. My life is not about me. It's about Jesus. And I'm going to give him the rest of my life. So, so let me just go back. What is, what is the church? What does it mean to follow him? I wonder if we were to ask Jesus where he was with, with his disciples and a big crowd because there was a whole bunch of people around him and he said, hey, if you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple? This is what it looks like. I wonder if we would ask Jesus in that moment, who's your church, Jesus? As he looked out at the mass of people, who's your church? Now, I'm not here to draw a line or anything like that because I think, say, okay, this is where, this is where the church is, the church is not. No, no, not at all. Because I think that following Jesus is a process. It is. Jesus will invite you, come and see. And little by little, he'll just take you deeper and deeper and deeper. So I want you, what I want you to do is just to find out where you're at in those five stages and just take the next step. Because following Jesus is a journey, and there's going to come to a, a, a fork in the road in the journey of, with Jesus that he's going to go, hey, hey, I got another step for you. I got another commitment for you. Hey, I want you to let that go and come further. Because where I'm calling you to go, that can't come with you. That can't come. Come follow. Come further. There's more. Hey, no, no, there's more. I got more for you. But you got to let go of that. And there's, and there's always this journey of, of a process, a, a gradual nature of following Jesus that he's not asking you like overnight to just like, you know, no, no, no. But there is a next step. I promise you, if you listen to shepherd, the shepherd's voice, there is a step that he's inviting you to take. Can I pray for you with every head bowed and eye closed? Because I think there are some steps right here in this room. I think the shepherd is speaking. He's calling you deeper. He's calling you further. And maybe he's calling you to let some things go in order to go where he's called you to go. And you know it. You know it, that there's so much more. There's more to following Jesus than just a Sunday thing. Maybe in your context of church, you've thought of it in a very American cultural way and it wasn't what Jesus pictured, and you need to make some choices today to be his church and his follower, not his way, not yours.